Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our first passage today is from Deuteronomy 6. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around your house and when you are out and about when you are lying down and when you are getting up. In 2 Timothy, we hear, Paul wrote to Timothy, I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure that this faith is also inside you. And in Proverbs 13, we read these words, good people leave their grandchildren an inheritance. According to historian David Blight, one could argue that the very first Memorial Day celebration took place on May 1st, 1865. This is just a couple weeks after the Civil War ended. And on that date, in Charleston, South Carolina, there were 10,000 freed slaves that gathered. And they gathered at what had been the racetrack, the horse racing track. And during the Civil War, that became a prison for Union soldiers. 257 Union soldiers died there in that prison. And just days before this, this commemoration, this celebration, or this, this Memorial Day, this first Memorial Day, there were some of the freed slaves who, who came. And those 257 who had died in the prison, they were put in a mass grave, unmarked mass grave. And so they reinterred these, these former Union soldiers and they marked their graves. They may not have had the names, but they put markers on them. This is a picture from 1865 that shows you the cemetery that they had set up for these uh, fallen Union soldiers. And the reason why these folks gathered on May 1st of that day was to commemorate and to decorate these tombs or these graves, to decorate them and to remember the fact that these 257 died so that these 10,000 slaves could be free. 3,000 children that were there as a part of that 10,000, the parents and the grandparents wanted to know their, you know, wanted their children to know that there were people who laid down their life and the legacy of their sacrifice was the freedom of these 10,000. There were some missionaries there as well and some union soldiers, but it was a huge deal. And, and so as we look back, Memorial Day was first called Decoration Day and it began probably you know, in earnest as an annual celebration, 1868, but eight, or maybe 1866, 1867, but 1865, the very first, what we might call a Memorial Day. And, uh, and since that time, of course, we continue the practice and it was named in 1971 a national holiday, but we mark the graves of those who gave their lives for their country. And we remember the legacy that they leave is our freedom. But it's also a time when we stop and we decorate the graves of our family members and friends. And so as I was growing up, that was just a part of Memorial Day celebrations. And in doing that, it gives us an opportunity to, to just pause and think about the legacy that all of our family and friends who've died and gone before us, the legacy that they leave for us. And today, what I'm gonna invite us to think about on this Memorial Day weekend is what is the legacy we will leave behind? I wanna ask you, what is the legacy you will leave behind? So as we think about this, I wanna think together about uh, what a legacy is. So the new Oxford American Dictionary 
defines legacy in this way. One, it's an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. We'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. But the bulk of the sermon, I wanna focus on the second definition, the long lasting impact of particular events, actions, et cetera, that took place in the past or of a person's life, the impact of a person's life. So as we think about these things, I wanna remind you the greatest example I can think of of somebody who had a long lasting impact after they were gone is Jesus Christ. So he walked on this earth, he was a carpenter, he was a teacher, he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. He teaches, he, he pours into people's lives, he heals, he suffers and dies on the cross and he's raised from the dead. And all of that we continue to remember and celebrate. It shapes our lives. A third of the world's population claim to be his followers and the rest of the world, whether they realize it or not, have been shaped by the things that he taught and the things that he did. He left a legacy. He never raised armies and conquered nations as say Caesar Augustus did. He never built buildings with his name on them. People after him did that, but he never built buildings with, with his name on it. He didn't have billions of dollars to give to charity, but the message that he spoke, the way he poured into people's lives, his suffering, death and resurrection has left, has left a legacy of which we are continuing to be the beneficiaries. That's a legacy. Now, none of us are gonna leave that kind of legacy, but we do have an opportunity to leave a legacy, every one of us. So I wanna remind you, when we talk about legacy, the impact that we have on the world after us, that legacy can be good or it can be bad. There are plenty of people, villains throughout history who left a bad legacy, a horrible legacy. In the Bible, in the books of Kings and Chronicles, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, we read about the kings and queens of ancient Israel and Judah. And, uh, and we read of some that left a really wonderful legacy, but there were others who left a pretty dark legacy. So we find there are 30 times in first and second Kings where the official record of the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah say this about any given king. So 30 times, 30 kings, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord over and over and over again, we read this. And then interspersed with that are those who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The greatest villain in Kings and Chronicles is King Ahab. And King Ahab, who lived in the eighth century before Christ, lived in, during the time of Elijah the prophet, he and his wife Jezebel did horrible things. And in the process of that, you see their infidelity and you see their unfaithfulness and their injustice and the cruelty that they sometimes exercised. And as we look at that, we learn from their legacy too. The reason why seven chapters of 1 Kings are devoted to the story is because we learn even, in fact, sometimes we learn even more from the negative legacy of someone who's done what was wrong in the sight of the Lord as to how we're meant to live, which is the opposite of how that person lived. I spoke, uh, or I was reading this week from someone who described the negative legacy of their mother and the impact it had on their life. But, but this person said, but what that led me to was to live a totally opposite life and to try to do the things my mother did not do, which led in turn to leaving a positive legacy. So we find that sometimes in scripture and in history and in our own lives as well. But when we think about the positive legacies, you know, this is something that we build. We, we invest in that legacy. We pour into it over a lifetime and we leave that behind after we're gone. And, and I was thinking there are, there are at least five ways that we leave a legacy and we build a legacy. Here are the five. We, we leave a legacy by the work that we do, by the way that we live, by the love that we show, by the faith that we share, and the resources that we give. I recently read that Kansas City's own Sonia Warshawski is retiring. Sonia's been here at Resurrection. She's, uh, you've heard her in a, in a video that I'm gonna share again in a moment, but she is one of the Holocaust survivors here in Kansas City. She's retiring, she's 98 years old and she's retiring from the tailoring business. She's uh, run John's, uh, John's Tailors for, well, she and her husband, when he was alive, 60 years they've run the tailoring shop. And finally at 98, she says, it's time to, time to retire. But you know what she's not gonna retire from? 
is speaking out about the need to overcome evil with good, the need to show kindness and love, even in a world where people are sometimes cruel and inhumane. She survived the death camps in Nazi Germany. She's in Poland. She survived the death camps. But she didn't simply find herself a victim of these things. She lost most of her family. She decided she was going to use that experience to try to promote kindness, love, compassion, and care among others. This is a photo of Sonia when she was here at Church of the Resurrection. She was showing her, uh, her identification numbers that the Nazis tattooed on her arm there. And, uh, and we were showing the movie Big Sonia. Now, she's four foot seven inches tall, but I'm telling you, she's got a lioness of a heart. And I wanted you to have a chance to hear the video clip. I've shared it with you before, but this is from about 10 years ago when she's describing her story and the legacy she's trying to leave behind. Take a listen. We had a hiding spot under our bed, under the floor. They came with German shepherds and they smelled us out. This was, I'll never forget, May the 3rd. Why do I remember? Because this was my brother's birthday. When we came to uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau, the first thing they we were shaved, you know, and attired and gave us different, you know, clothes. And then we were, we had to be numbered. We had a selection. And when I came in front, we were all naked. We already knew what it means right and left. So he put my mother to the left and me to the right. So you can imagine that moment, I wanted to go with her. But the SS woman was pushing me, you know, to the right. It's like God wanted me to see my mother for the last time. I pushed myself to a door and I looked through the little peephole. And what do you think? I saw my mom in this column for the last time. It was the most horrible, horrible day for me. I shall never forget, who am I? What kind of power am I to say I forgive? Because this would be wrong for those people in the way they perished. Do I have the authority to say I forgive? I cannot say this, but I will not hate. Spread love, put goodness in your heart. Be helping each other. Help people, others, when they need help. This is, I think, the greatest thing for any Christian or any human being. Hitler and the Nazis left a very dark legacy. But Sonia Warshawski, she's a bright light, calling people to love, to show kindness, to help one another. And she's spoken in schools across Kansas City. Her testimony has been heard by millions of people across the country she has left a very bright legacy, calling people to overcome darkness with light, to overcome evil with good. Now, we all leave a legacy, whether we think about it or not. We're all going to leave a legacy. Sometimes it's a good legacy. Sometimes we miss the mark. But I want to encourage us to be intentional about the kind of legacy we leave. I want to give you a couple of other examples that are not as dramatic as uh, what we see in Sonia Warshawski, but they're clearly powerful legacies. So this week on Facebook, I asked people to share with me, you know, tell me about the people who poured into your life. Who are the people who left a legacy for you? And I'd love for you to go on my Pastor Adam Hamilton Facebook page and just read some of those. This has been, uh, I think it was Wednesday of this week. But here, I'll just share a couple. Marilyn spoke about her mother, a missionary in Jamaica and the Virgin Islands. And she said, when she left this world to go to her forever home, she left us a spiritual legacy that lives on. 
When she died, she had $17 in her checking account after her bills were paid. But her legacy of kindness, compassion, love, faithfulness, it lives on in her children and her grandchildren. Alan told of his mother, who was Catholic, who dragged, he, this is a quote, he, she dragged me to church and continually taught the importance of this when he was away at college. She kept saying, I don't care which church you go to, but I want you to go to church. And now he wasn't so faithful when he was in college. He was there Easter and Christmas, maybe at church. But you know, he never forgot what his mother told him and her desire that he be in church. And, and then he noted this. Uh, she said, when he got married, just promise me you're going to raise your children in the faith. Promise me you're going to teach your children the faith. This was so important to this grandmother. And uh, here's a photo of his mom and dad, Alan's mom and dad, with Alan's three children. And, and you can just imagine her prayers for her grandchildren and her care for them and the desire that they be raised in the church. And Alan, it affected him too. So he says, my faith became so important to me. It made all the difference in my life because of my mom and the legacy she left of faith for me. And then she referred to our scripture today where Paul's talking to Timothy and Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice. I'm sure that this faith is also inside you, Paul says to Timothy. And what Alan said is, I am a Timothy. My faith has come from my mother and my grandmother who poured this in to me. My point today is to encourage you to be intentional about the legacy that you are cultivating and that you leave behind, not to just haphazardly do this, but to be thinking about how do I live in such a way that something that I have done in this world continues after I'm gone, that I've poured into people and into their lives, something good, something about the kingdom of God, not so they remember me personally, but so that their lives are impacted and changed and they in turn impact other generations after me. So, you know, the goodness, the, the faithfulness, the love, all of that, it, it, it not only goes on to, you know, the people who know us personally, but through them to generations that are yet to come. This is why in the scripture it talks about, you know, that the sins of the fathers are visited upon the sons and the daughters to the nth generation. But the same is true also of the kindness, the justice, the mercy, that when we do that, that continues in the generations after us. Scripture repeatedly teaches us to pass on our faith. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 is the great Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. Israel, listen, our God is the Lord, only the Lord, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your strength. So this is like the foundational commandment is to do this. This is what it means to be human. But then listen to what he goes on to say. Moses goes on to say, these words that I'm commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting around your house and when you are out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Share your faith. Talk about the importance of it and make sure that you're sharing with future generations this gift that you've received. I mentioned last week, our faith is always only one generation away from extinction. And the way it gets passed on most powerfully is not from the preacher. It's from parents and grandparents pouring into their children and sharing their faith with their children. Now, one of the opportunities we have every summer to invite children to grow deeper in their faith, to come to know the love of God, know the scriptures, is Vacation Bible Camp. This is like the single biggest outreach we have every year for reaching children. And there are a lot of kids in our community who don't go to church anywhere. And so at Vacation Bible Camp in July, I wanna encourage you, all of you at all, any of our locations, or if you live in Kansas City and you're watching on TV, you have children or grandchildren, bring them to Vacation Bible Camp, register them for Vacation Bible Camp at any of our six locations. This year it's called Beach Bash. And we're talking about stories that relate to Jesus and the Sea of Galilee and, the, and, and water and connecting Jesus with people. And they're great stories. And they're all stories that end up, you know, they not only speak to us, but they speak to our children 
about life and faith. While we were, so I'm gonna be uh, this salty surfer dude every day in Vacation Bible Camp. And so this week we were filming little video clips and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and film a clip for social media to invite people to invite their children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews to come to VBC. I thought you might enjoy seeing this. I'm gonna post this this week, something you can share with others. Take a look. Oh, hey, my name is Adam Hamilton. I'm the senior pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in the Kansas City area. And I'm just practicing for Vacation Bible Camp in July. It is going to be awesome. Our theme this year is Beach Bash. And we're going to invite children to come and to learn the stories of the Bible. They're going to have fun and games and fellowship and treats and all kinds of great stuff. But they're going to be learning stories about how Jesus called the fishermen along the Sea of Galilee. How Jesus went to a woman who was at a well and felt all alone. And suddenly she felt like she was loved. We're going to learn about how Jesus went to a guy named Zacchaeus who was alienated from everybody else. And Jesus showed him grace and kindness and how Simon Peter, when he blew it, Jesus forgave him. And we're going to find out that all of those lessons are important for children today. We want to encourage you, if you live in the Kansas City area or if you have kids who do, children, grandchildren, nieces or nephews, invite them to join us for Vacation Bible Camp. It is going to be awesome. You can find out more information at cor.org slash VBC. Back to rehearsal. I want you to imagine that you've invited a child, a niece, nephew, grandchild, maybe a neighbor child, a neighboring kid, uh, your kids at Vacation Bible Camp, and this might be the year where they finally got it, where they finally said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. And what a legacy you will have left behind. We're always looking for people to volunteer to help as well. So go to court.org slash next to register for Vacation Bible Camp. We have 1,100 children already signed up. We have room, if we needed it, for as many as 1,700 kids. We have room for 600 more comfortably, we have room for 300 more. And I'm just wondering, will we fill those spots? And are those 300 kids out there, people who are waiting, yearning, or maybe they don't even know yet to yearn for Jesus' love, but they'll find it when they come to Vacation Bible Camp. Be a part of passing on that legacy to someone else. All right, this week, uh, one day this week, uh, Roger Strickland came to see me. Now, Roger Strickland owns Strickland Construction Company. Some of you, many of you have heard of Strickland Construction. Uh, commercial builder, they build all kinds of buildings across Kansas City and across the United States. And he'd come to see me. He's the, he is a board member on the trustees for St. Paul School of Theology, which is located at our Leewood location. And Rogers came in and he said, uh, you know, I just wanted to meet with you. I feel like we share some, you know, some background in common. And I said, well, tell me about it. He's about 15 years older than I am. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I came to faith and I grew up at Christ United Methodist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was at Christ United Methodist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma that I, did, that I joined the United Methodist Church. It was my first experience as an adult to become a United Methodist. Changed the course of my life. And he said, I went to Oral Roberts University when it first opened up in 1968. And I said, well, you know, I was there from 1982 to 1985. And so we shared some things in common there. He felt called to be a pastor as a young man. And he spent two years pastoring churches while he was in college. And then, and then uh, later on, he started into seminary at St. Paul School of Theology. But he'd also started a construction company and, in, uh, and I think it was 1980, and uh, there came through a big contract uh, for his business, and he decided, well, maybe God's calling me to stick with the construction business. So, you know, he decided to stick with construction. And as he did, he would ask the question, well, okay, God, I know you want to use me. How can you use my business in order to do your work and to do ministry? And eventually he got connected with a community in Guatemala, San Luca in Guatemala. And it was a community of about 25,000 people, largely impoverished people, and, uh, and he, as he got to know them, he, he got to, you know, recognizing, well, they could use buildings like the kind of buildings I build. They could use churches and schools and clinics and, and, and even we could, you know, 
figure out a way to build houses out of the materials that we use in the United States. And then he figured out how to ship these building materials there to Guatemala. And then he'd take teams down and they would join with local Guatemalans and they would assemble these buildings. And over the last 25 years, he's assembled 60 buildings. They built 60 buildings in this town of, of San Luca. Uh, schools, again, churches and other, other you know, clinics and other things. And he said, you know, the most meaningful part of this for me is he said, I get to take teams down there and we work with the local Guatemalans. And, and as we're assembling the building in the evening, we'll sit around, we'll look at the stars and we just talk about God. We talk about how God called us to do this and how, you know, there's so much joy in being the hands of, and feet of Jesus and actually having a chance to bless other people. And then they bless us. And, and he said, it's just awesome. Some of the greatest memories of my life are being involved in mission in Guatemala. Here's a picture of him with one of the Guatemalan leaders and another one of the, I'm not sure who the guy is on the right, but you know, this is a team of people that are working on building some building down there. And he said, you know, we built these 60 buildings and now we're building houses. And he said, we figured we can build about a hundred houses a year out of these building materials for people who may not have adequate places to live in this town of San Luca. I think about that. And I think, you know, here's a guy, he's, you know, retirement age and part of his legacy in life, only part, but part of his legacy in life and, and he won't be known for that. I mean, nobody in, in, you know, the people in San Luca now know him, but his, his name's not, the, not on the side of these buildings. But there are going to be generations who are using these buildings and coming to be educated, going to church, finding the medical needs they have, having houses. Because he said, here I am, God, use my business, use who I am to honor you. That's his legacy, or at least part of it. I wonder what your legacy will be. And, you know, for most of us, we don't own businesses. We can't ship building materials, you know, halfway around the world. But there are other things that we can do. We can use the skills we have, the abilities we have, the influence we have, the resources we have to be able to pour into other people. We can do that just in conversations on a daily basis where we watch and see who needs a word of encouragement or care, and we pour into them. Now, we give you opportunities here at Resurrection to be able to do this all the time. So this coming week, actually starting, I think it's Tuesday of this week, right after Memorial Day, we launch our Bless the School, or, or today we call it School Makeover. And we're gonna be in Kansas City, Kansas. There are three schools, one elementary school, Quindaro Elementary School, and two preschools, uh, Bethel and Morris. And we're gonna be blessing these schools. We're gonna be rehabbing them. And I wanna tell you just a little bit about them. And I wanna encourage you, because we're still looking for people to sign up and help. You get to go, you know, there's like two or three shifts during the day and you can go in the afternoon and evening. You can go during the daytime. Uh, but you have a chance to bless kids. And while we're not building big buildings in, in Guatemala, we're rehabbing schools that need it for low-income children right here in Kansas City. So let me just show you a few of these pictures. So uh, the picture you see here is, is Quindaro Elementary School. We've had a partnership with them for some time. There are 320 children who go to the school, mostly low-income. And we're going to be installing basketball goals and, and permanent uh, soccer goals uh, outside. So they've got some fun places to play. And then we're going to be repainting the schools on the inside of the building. We're gonna be at Bethel Preschool. It's an early learning center, formerly an elementary school. They have 264 children, preschoolers, who attend this school. And we're gonna be building them a brand new playground. And we're gonna be expanding their existing playground. They have a few things. We're gonna be expanding it and building a lot of new things for their playground. And I believe we're also rehabbing the inside of that school. Then there's Morse Preschool. You see it in this picture. And the principal noted that every one of the 210 children here are at risk, every single one of them. And so my question for you is, what are we going to do there? Well, what are, you know, what are you willing to do there? And we're going to go in and we're going to rehab the, the inside of the building. We're going to be painting classrooms and, and really getting it so it looks awesome and it just feels fresh and new for all of these little children, these preschoolers coming in. This is one of our 2030 goals or our visions is to be a part of helping preschoolers, helping every kid in these communities in Kansas City around our elementary schools to have access to a quality preschool education. And, you know, it doesn't take any special skills to do this. You can go paint, you can help put the playgrounds together. 
And I, I'm going to promise you, you, you know, your name won't be on any of that. But it's not about having your name on anything, right? At the same time, your fingerprints are going to be there. And these children, you're leaving a legacy. You're pouring a legacy into them and into their schools. How awesome is that? Go to court.org slash next and you can say, hey, I'm willing to help with that. Where do you need me? What days do you need me? We'll, we'll get you assigned and you're going to find it will be a great blessing and a great joy to you. So ultimately, we're investing in that legacy every day, in the conversations we have, in the things that we do. But sometimes we don't think so intentionally about it. What I'm inviting you to do today is to think intentionally, how am I building a legacy with my family? How am I building a legacy with the coworkers that I have, with my neighbors? And the legacy, again, it's not about honoring you. It's about having an impact on their lives for the kingdom of God, you know, demonstrating and showing the love of Christ to other people and their lives, they carry that with them. You impact their lives as you're intentionally building and leaving a legacy. That leads to the last definition of legacy and, or actually the first one, the one I mentioned that we would look at at the end of the sermon from the New Oxford American Dictionary. It says, a legacy is also an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. So I wanna talk about that for a second. This week, LaVon and I were on the phone with a good friend of ours. She lives outside of Kansas City and, and uh, she and her husband are about our age, LaVon and I's age. And we were just talking about 60th birthdays that are coming up and she'll turn 60 this year. And, and th then in the process, she raised this question. She said, you know, we're thinking about, we don't have children and we're thinking about, you know, what's gonna happen with what we have when we're gone? And I said, well, that's interesting because I'm going to talk about that a little bit in my sermon this weekend. She said, I'm just wondering, what's the legacy that we leave behind? And I said, well, that's exactly the point. On Memorial Day weekend, we stopped to think about the legacy other people left behind, your parents, my parents, and others. And then we ask ourselves, what's the legacy we'll leave behind? So some of that, when we die, if there's anything that we still have left, that's distributed. Uh, sometimes it goes to the state because we haven't, you know, we haven't said this is where it's supposed to go. It goes through probate court. But hopefully you have a will. LaVon and I drafted, well, with an attorney, drafted our first will when we were going on a mission trip and our kids were just little. And we thought if we died, you know, we want to make sure they're taken care of. And so it was very important for us. And we, we did that. And then, uh, and then years later, when they were teenagers, we modified that will. And then every so many years after that, we've taken a look at it one more time. And most recently, I think it was a year ago or two years ago, when we, when we took, you know, we sort of redrafted our will altogether. And I shared this with you a couple of years ago. So as we did that, as we looked at our will once more, we recognize now our kids are done with college. We don't have to have money set aside for college. Now, you know, there's Stella and we've already invested in her college. And, and then, you know, we began to look at other things we wanted to do. Rebecca's not, not yet married. And so we set aside some money in case she's not married by the time we die, you know, this money should go to help, you know, fund her wedding. And then we looked at who are the people who are dependent upon us and what do we need to do to make sure that they're okay? And then what are we going to leave to our children? But here's where we actually started though, as we started and said, what do we want to leave behind to continue the work that we have devoted ourselves to during our lifetime. You know, and, and we ask what's been most important to us when it comes to our resources and our, you know, and of course our children are most important to us and our granddaughter is most important to us. But when it comes to missionally, you know, what are the things that were most important? And for us, the things that make our heart beat is helping people come to know Jesus. And we thought, how can we leave something behind to allow people to come to know Jesus when we're gone? And, and that future generations. And then, and then we've been really involved in helping churches you know, be revitalized. And so how can we leave something that can be focused on helping churches be revitalized in the future? And then we thought, you know, one of our passions is seeing the Kansas City area and the world look more like the kingdom of God when it comes to justice and compassion and poverty. And so, so we said, well, those three things are what the church is all about. And, 
we have a foundation here at the church and we said, and this is what I told our kids, kids, you know, about half of what we have is gonna go to you guys and whatever other needs there are, you know, in our family at that time. But the other half is going, roughly half is going to the church's foundation. And it's gonna be used to make possible the things that we cared most about in this life. It's gonna help them continue long after we're gone. It's not gonna pay the budget for the Church of the Resurrection. That should be paid by the members. But it's gonna fund special projects that will do these three things, seeing people's lives changed in the name of Jesus, seeing churches revitalized, and seeing the community look more like the kingdom of God through, uh, through projects related to justice, mercy, compassion, and addressing poverty. And so our kids just know that's what we're gonna be doing. And that's something I invite you to think about every year. Now, for you, that may not be giving half of what you have in your estate. Maybe it's 10%. And this is what I suggest is, you know, the Bible talks about tithing. When we get to the end of our lives, what would happen if we left a tithe to accomplish God's work through the church? You know, this is a way of expressing our worship and our praise to God, but also making ministry happen. What would happen if we did that? 10% that we gave. And some couldn't afford to do that. But I'm just saying, as you think about it, you may have nothing left when you, when you die, but you might. And... To my friend's point on the phone, you know, what do you want to do with that? And maybe part of what you want to do is to continue to have an impact for the kingdom of God long after you're gone. So I think about that. And this week, actually this month, I have done three funerals here at Resurrection. And in each one, I sat with the family and I asked them to tell me about the legacy they left behind. I asked them to tell me about the things that they'd done. And it's always interesting when somebody tells me, you know, one of the things mom did or mom and dad did is they left something behind for the foundation so that the things they cared about most here will continue long after they're gone. All right, we currently have 484 households here at Resurrection who have declared a planned gift in their will or estate plan. They've let us know that. There are hundreds and hundreds more who didn't let us know, but they've already done this. And, and we're so grateful. If you've done that, thank you so much. Because long after I'm not the pastor here, but you know, years, centuries maybe into the future, you're gonna to continue to have an impact on the world. That is your legacy. All right, so I thought it'd be interesting for you to hear from a couple of those folks who have actually done this. And uh, we have uh, two, two families you're gonna see in the video who recently uh, worked with the foundation to make their planned gifts. And I wanted you to have a chance to hear from them. Take a listen. Resurrection changed our lives in very substantial way because we had been nominal Christians for over 40 years. We just didn't have church in our lives. And we there was a void in our lives. Yeah, a, I think it turned out to be a spiritual void. Uh, the legacy that we would like to leave is more characterized by the fruits of our labors and our contributions. We began to understand that if we have resources that exceed our needs in retirement, we needed to decide what to do with those resources. We came very soon to the conclusion that we wanted to give the majority of our residual estate to the Church of the Resurrection. We wanted it to go someplace that we believed had our beliefs and we could down the road trust this entity with what they committed to do and that it matched our commitment to the future. It's important for us to continue to give back to this church because of what the, the lessons and the guidance and the, the community that we've been able to find. Church has really embedded and ingrained a lot of things in us that we now practice today. And at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't belong to us. And it belongs to God and He's, he's given us that. He's blessed us with that. And I think that we should, we should all share with others and 
it's, it's, it's all, I, to me, it's been a key learning at Church of the Resurrection. But this was important for us as we were thinking about our own legacy. I, I think a planned gift extends the power of the church to build community well beyond our ability to reach individuals and well beyond even our lifetimes. I love that. The impact that they leave long after they're gone, and they're planning for that today. And I want to encourage you to think about doing the same. All right, I wanted to tell you one more story along those lines. And Karen Seward, she was a member of Resurrection West, our West location in Olathe. And she passed away last year. Her parents were missionaries, and she loved being involved in mission. That was just a passion of hers. And David, her husband, and, and their kids said, well, how can we honor mom now that she's gone? And, you know, what is one way that we could honor mom, you know, and her love for missions? And they decided to meet with our folks in the foundation. We've got a great staff team in our foundation. And they said, is there any way we could set up a fund that would help provide scholarships for people who want to go on mission trips, but don't have the money to be able to go? Could we assist them in being able to go? And this is exactly what they did. They set up the Seward Family Missions Fund with the foundation. It's a need, it provides needs-based scholarships for people who want to go on a mission trip, couldn't otherwise do it. So they can experience the joy that Karen experienced and they felt like from heaven, Karen's got to be looking down and smiling. And every one of those people who goes on a mission trip and their life is affected is one more part of the legacy that Karen leaves behind. I want to show you a picture of Karen. This is Karen and her husband, David. It's a beautiful picture. And the next, uh, next couple of pictures are her on different mission trips. And the joy, you just look in her face and the joy that she had while she was in these various places serving as the hands and feet of Christ. And she's making possible through this gift and the family's making possible through this gift, the opportunity for others to experience the same joy. All right, we all have people in our lives who have poured into us and given us a legacy of faith and life and character and love and all of these things. And we have an opportunity to do the same. And I'm inviting you to be intentional about thinking, what is the legacy I'm leaving behind? And I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, there are five ways at least that we leave a legacy. We leave a legacy by the work that we do, our employment, the, the labor that we give. We leave a legacy by the way that we live, by the love that we show, by the faith that we share, and by the resources that we give. All right, I wanna end with this. Uh, as I was preparing to record the sermon, I received a text message from Roger Strickland, who I told you about earlier and his work in Guatemala. And, and he said, uh, you know, I've been asked to preach on June 4th and I, I just wanna share my sermon with you. This is my manuscript and I wanted you to have a chance to read it. And I knew you were preaching about legacy this weekend and legacy really matters a lot to me. And I just thought I'd share it with you. And I read it and I said, I contacted him. I said, Rogers, can I, can I steal the end of your sermon and share this with my congregation this weekend? And he said, of course, sure. Now in the sermon, he said something he didn't tell me when he was in my office, that he has stage four prostate cancer. And the doctors gave him five years to live and that was three years ago. Mayo said, well, he might have a little more time than that, but he's, he's dealing with a terminal cancer. And, and then along the way, he ended up with stage two colon cancer. And so he talks about that in the sermon that he's, that he's preaching at his church. He's a member of Weston United Methodist Church in Weston, Missouri. And, uh, and then he, he says this at the end. He says, um, oh, by the way, this is a photo of him with his wife, Peggy. And uh, I think they're in Guatemala in that, that photo. But his message that he wrote for his congregation ends this way. He says, the path of everlasting life, that is where I want to be from now on. He's quoted Psalm 139 and he's talked about death and, and he knows he's dying. This is, this is just the reality of his life. The path of everlasting life, that is where I wanna be from now on. With all the saints and sinners who got me this far these last 73 years, 
He says, I'm overwhelmed as I think of them. And these are all people who've died and gone ahead of him, who poured into him, who left a lasting legacy or impact on his life. He said, they're too numerous to, to list, but very real to me. And then he lists a few of them. He mentions his grandfather and his dad and his mom and his grandmothers. And then he lists a few, uh, you know, a few of his friends by name and all of these people poured into him and left a legacy in his life. Now, listen to what he says next. I aspire to be on that list for my children, for my family, for my friends and those I work with. He's talking about legacy. God is far from done with me and he's far from done with you, Roger says. Regardless of your age or history or cancer or other infirmities, we have days left to lift others up. We are the hands, the feet, the ears, the voice of God. That is Rogers Strickland's legacy. I wanna ask you, what will your legacy be? What will you leave behind? Let's pray. Oh God, we offer ourselves to you. In fact, why don't you just whisper this prayer under your breath? God, I offer my life to you. Help me to be your hands, your feet, your voice. Help me to pour into other people blessings and encouragement, love and care. Help me to be intentional about the legacy I leave behind. Use me, I pray. I offer myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.